Hey guys, it's Dave Chang here, host of The Dave Chang Show. You might hear me on with Chris Yang, Noel Cornelio, and a host of other guests. We've been on air for quite some time now, and it's changed over the years. But one of the things we always try to talk about is what's delicious, how to be a better eater. And you might hear me rambling incoherently, contradicting myself every five minutes. We talk about some sports and culture and all kinds of other things, too. I think we're the, the most expert opinions you'll ever hear about anything. Check us out if you haven't before on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing in the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome to another episode of Recipe Club. We are doing a special Cinco de Mayo themed episode. I'm joined with co-host Chris Ying. And do you want to explain who our special guest is? Who's probably going to win this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just heard you heard a little telltale giggle from our, our friend and multi-visit guest on the Dave Chang Show, but first time Recipe Club wedgie, Gustavo Ariano. What's up, man? Dude. First of all, of course, how stereotypical. Get a Mexican on Cinco de Mile. You should have fucking broken it and get, you know, broken stereotypes and gotten some gabacho. That's it. Thank you as always. You had to do it. I get it. And then number two, you know, I'm always down to come out on anything that you guys do. But I'm like the worst possible guest to have gotten on Recipe Club because until I did this, the only thing I had ever really cooked in my life, and I'm I'm being 1,000% honest, was quesadillas. <laughs> I mean, let me address a couple of things here. <laughs> First of all, yes, we got we got a Mexican to come on for our Cinco de Mayo episode. Gustavo, I think I would have got an angry email from you if I'd been like, and welcome our expert <laughs> Isaac Lee here to talk about Cinco de Mayo on this very special episode. <laughs> Secondly, no. I cannot imagine a more perfect guest for for this, especially uh, given your your kitchen prowess. Um, <laughs> this is the best thing that's ever happened on Breast Week Up. I'm I'm so excited to have you on here. Like Dave said, it's a Cinco de Mayo episode. I emailed you. I said, 
what do you what do you want to make? What's the what's the sink of the Mayo dish? We've got a <laughs> we've got a we've got a doozy here for somebody who only makes quesadillas. But before we get into that, why don't we start with this? There are 27 million results when we do a Google search for Cinco de Mayo recipes. Your own newspaper printed a a list of 36 Cinco de Mayo recipes last year. Let's go with the very, very basics here. Cinco de Mayo is not Mexican Independence Day. No. (laughs) Even though I'm sure many kids are taught that in in schools and everything, but like that is not the case. What is Cinco de Mayo? So Cinco de Mayo specifically refers to a battle that was fought on May 5th, 2000, 2000, what the fuck am I talking about? 1861. (laughs) 2018. Yeah, 1861, (laughs) the Battle of Puebla, the city of Puebla. At the time you had Mexico deep in debt. I mean, the more things change, the more they remain the same, right? Benito Juarez, the newly elected president of Mexico, first indigenous president, under attack from within. Then here comes uh, uh, European forces saying, hey, it's time for you guys to pay up your debts. Britain tries to invade. Nah, they just go back. It's the French who try to invade, and they actually go into central Mexico. At that point, the French army is one of the biggest armies in the world. This is right after, of course, you know, Napoleon decades later. So they're ready. Everyone's, you know, expecting Mexico to just fold, but under the command of General Ignacio Zaragoza, they're able to defeat the French. Huge upset, huge. We're, I mean, we're talking more than Villanova against Georgetown back in the day. Humongous, <laughs> humongous upset. The French leave, and so as a result of that, historically, Cinco de Mayo has been celebrated as a day of Mexican resistance and triumph over a bigger enemy. Never mind the fact that a year later you had a rematch and the French fucking beat the Mexicans, took over Mexico for four years, installed an emperor, blah, blah, blah. Wait, that happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what people never talk about when it comes to Cinco de Mayo. And it's such a Mexican thing to do, by the way. I I never once knew that France was involved with Mexico in any form you or gotta, fashion. Right, wait, Dave, you assume that like Cinco de Mayo was about fighting the Spanish, right? Like I, you just assume that that's the case. Where did the fucking French come in? <laughs> and how did the French ever become so industrious to become like, you know, to- taking over the world? What are they doing in Mexico? What the <laughs> they fuck? spent all their energy on this one, I think. They, I mean, come on. We know we forget the France of Napoleon, the France of colonialism. And so what happened was that you know, especially in the 19th century, of course, French, French or France's colonies, slave colonies in the Caribbean. So France had a vested interest in money in Mexico. They wanted to pay it. You know, they wanted to collect on their debt. So they go into Mexico and invade. They're going to say, oh, we're going to take if you're not going to pay us, then we're going to take over the country. And they lost in, for the for the sink of the mile. And then a year later, they won, but they didn't want to rule the country. So they installed a uh, Habsburgian, uh, the emperor Maximilian. They installed him. And so literally he was the emperor of Mexico for like three years until Benito Juarez. He, you know, slowly staged a comeback, had him executed. And here's the thing. People say, oh, French, sink of the mile. How? But have you ever eaten pan dulce? Have you ever eaten like those Mexican sweetbreads, croissants? Orejas, even the conchas themselves, it's all French baking techniques. All of it. Is the bolillo part of that that lineage? In in, in northern Mexico in El Paso, they call them franquitos, you know, little French guys, a little bolillo. So yeah, there's French rolls. That's bolillos are French rolls. They're straight out of France. So 
Cinco de Mayo, once I got older and started thinking, thinking about these things, I despise Cinco de Mayo because we celebrate it as this triumph over an invader. But again, we never talk about what happened a year later. And at the end, French culture not just seeped its way, it invaded and permeated Mexican culture. Another grand uh, French uh, contribution to Mexican culture, quinceañeras. Where do you think they get those big puffy dresses from? It's from mm-hmm. the Habsburg court. Like you have, uh, you know, uh, the quinceañeras, historically they would, dra- uh, they would dance a valse. A waltz. I don't think they were getting waltzes back in the days of the Aztecs, you know? (laughs) No music in three quarters time there. What, (laughs) uh... But I mean, Gustavo, you can't be that mad about the fact that you celebrate this victory. It's like there's so many like sports movies based around this same thing. Like not every sports movie is like, we're winning the Super Bowl. We're winning the World Series. Sometimes just like, and we won the big game, the one game, we won one game. And that's all that, you know, you get great movies about winning one game, you know? So come on, it's okay. You can celebrate. No, no, no. It's, it's such a Mexican thing to celebrate victories that ended up turning into defeats. Best example, our great goaltender Memo Ochoa, who everyone loves, who makes these amazing blocks out of nowhere. And then when it counts, he loses. And Mexico doesn't get past the second round of the World Cup. It's going to happen again this year, folks, in Qatar. You're going to see it. We're going to be all excited. You're going to have the memes of fucking Memo as Gandalf. Thou shalt not pass. And then he lets Brazil like go crazy on him. It, I, we, I think as Mexicans, we just need a reset of our mind. We cannot celebrate defeats. Or, or let, let's put it this way. We cannot celebrate false victories. And Cinco de Mayo, to me, at the end, was a false victory. Obviously, I'm in the mega minority of this because Cinco de Mayo celebrations. And that's the thing. Mexico itself understands this because in Mexico, the country Mexico, they only really celebrate uh, Cinco de Mayo in Puebla where it happened. And the rest of the United and the rest of Mexico, no one really gives a shit about it. It's up in the United States. So I guess this is the positive thing. Up in the United States, Cinco de Mayo has always been celebrated because, you know, this is 1861. This is about a decade after uh, the United States took over half of Mexico, the American Southwest. So the Mexicans who were left in the United States, they viewed it again like this is a way to like we can beat the aggressor at some point. Not this time, but maybe one day in the future for us. And look at us now. But like for all intents and purposes, and, and uh, tell me how you feel about this, Gustavo. Like, like I said, most people I think assume Cinco de Mayo is Mexican Independence Day. Dave and I were both relatively clueless that there was ever a battle against the French in the states where Cinco de Mayo is celebrated with much more fervor than in, in Mexico. It has become kind of a, a general purpose celebration of of Mexican American culture, right? It's not even. I think that most people don't think of it as like, well, we won that one battle. It's just like this is. This is Mexican culture day, right? It's Drinko the Cinco, Cinco the Drinko. <laughs> I do not blame this, though, on anti-Mexican sentiment, although, of course, it's real in the United States. This is more an indictment of what American culture has historically been, which is, yes, we're supposed to be a melting pot. We're supposed to assimilate everyone who comes in, just scrub off all the ethnicity out of you. But then at the same time, once a group has assimilated enough in their minds or are more accepted that Americans flip it and you're like, okay, well, we didn't want, we didn't like you when you were immigrants, but now you're third, fourth generation. We're going to mock your culture and we're going to be you. So St. Patrick's Day. Remember, 
People forget St. Patrick's Day is a Catholic holiday, that St. Patrick was a saint, is revered in the Catholic Church. Nah, it's a time to be like a Mick and just get drunk and, you know, go to Southie <laughs> and park the car and Boston Yard and all that. So Cinco de Mayo <laughs> is turning into that. Now it's like you wear the big sombreros, you drink the tequilas, you get the uh, Corona specials and all of that. You And, and you know what's also slowly turning into that, although that's going to be interesting, Dia de los Muertos. So... I guess America loves Mexico so much that you're going to have two holidays where you mock us instead of one like the Irish. <laughs> and the Italians, poor guys, they don't get anything. Columbus Day, man. Yeah, Columbus used, Day. And look used... where that is now. <laughs> yeah. Chang, do you have any associations with Cinco de Mayo? Did you, do you ever, as, as a kid, was this part of like your, your upbringing, school stuff or anything like that? No, in high school, there was a, a, a few guys from Mexico and they would always celebrate Cinco de Mayo but I never understood what it meant or why, mainly because I did terrible in school and I <laughs> had no idea world history. Clearly, I didn't even know that France had an, <laughs> any kind of footprint in Mexico <laughs> until today. And then honestly, living in New York, Cinco de Mayo is just one of those things that people that were not Mexican, I felt like celebrated as their way of embracing you know, Mexican culture. Right. Like in the same vein where people that are not Irish celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. The, the not Irish. Yeah, no, exactly. Like you again, the American mind, you know, it's that waspiness, that Puritan essence that's still with it. It's latent in all of us. You envy those ethnics that you malign and that you stereotype and you segregate against. You, you see them and you think. Uh, they must have it better than us because they're always so happy. They're always celebrating or whatnot. So let's try to be just like them. I mean, and this, I mean, this is based, this goes to the essence of appropriation. This is why white society enslaved and segregated black culture for so long and yet gladly appropriated all aspects of their culture. We do it to all ethnicities one way or another. And some people call it appropriation. Some people call it, you know, assimilation or whatnot. But at least when it comes to the holidays, it's very much like, what's that, you know, that supposed tradition, I think it's called Sharivari, where the rich would pretend to be the poor and the poor would pretend to be the rich around the time of Mardi Gras. Like all societies seem to need that to like, we're, we're going to mock, we're, we're going to assume the trappings of the very people we hate, but we're going to do it in a way that's going to quote unquote celebrate them. We can get rid of all this if we just institute the purge though, guys, just one day, <laughs> one day or come on, just let's purge. Uh, all right. So outside of, so, so we've established <laughs> what Cinco de Mayo is, how it, it truly exists. Do you, does your family celebrate Cinco de Mayo, Gustavo? Oh, Did no. you grow up celebrating it at all? Fuck no. I mean... <laughs> We would go, okay, we would go to the fair. There'd always be a Cinco de Mayo fair at La Palma Park in Anaheim. And we'd go only to hear the music. And also because mi tia Maria, she would make these, her and her sons would make these awesome chorizo tortas. And so we'd go, you know, I think my mom would help her out a little bit. I'd of course go to eat them. But other than that, there's just, honestly, I mean, I have to celebrate May 5th, yes, because it's my wife's birthday. Oh, not only that, you my, got, my you're, lu you're lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he lucky? You can never forget. You can never I forget. could never forget. I <laughs> yeah, oh, my wife would kill me if I forgot. But check this out. My wife, she's half Mexican, half white on her you know, on her Mexican side. Her mom was an immigrant from Sonora on her dad's side. She could trace her heritage all the way to the pilgrim William Bradford. And she was born May 5th. 
1976. So I call her the golden child. She's going to unite Mexico and the United States forever and ever more. But because of that, then I have to celebrate May 5th. We don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo. She calls it, her, my wife's name is Delilah. So she calls it Cinco Delilah. So I have to celebrate Cinco Delilah. Happy, happy birthday, Delilah. The bicentennial <laughs> she, she's Cinco de Mayo, baby. Mitochloridians. Uh, uh, <laughs> she, she's a young I'm telling Jedi. you, I, no, no, no joke. She's the one. She's the one. <laughs> well, we're, all right, so Cinco de Mayo is celebrated now because of Delilah. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this then, because we're just talking celebrations generally. This dish, we're going to get to this dish in a second, and it is a celebratory dish, uh, undoubtedly. Growing up then, Gustavo, Dave, what were the big actual holidays that you celebrate? Dave talks all about how much he hates a lot of holidays, but like, what were the ones in your household that had to be celebrated that were actually something that you looked forward to? My birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I hate birthdays, so I didn't celebrate mine. When I was a kid, I wanted, and, and New Year's Day. More than Christmas, because in Korean culture you get sebedon, which is money, Mm. and that would be my. uh, And then I would be browbeat by my parents to give it all away to church the next week, so I got to celebrate (laughs) capitalism for one week, and then give it all away to church offering. (laughs) Sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, sounds so fun. Sound like an economist there. Damn. <laughs> birthday and New Year's Day for the Chang household. What about you, Gustavo? What were the actual big holidays? It, it was December. I mean, for Mexicans, basically starting on, uh, you know, December 15th, the feast day of the Virgen de Guadalupe. Uh, I think it's the 13th. One of those. You know, so, but starting from there to Christmas, you have posadas. Posadas would be basically every night you pretend to be Joseph and Mary searching for lodging as told in the, you know, the new Testament searching for lodging. So you go from house to house, you sing carols, and then every, you a different house every night ends up feeding everyone. So you do that. It's called basically Advent in in English. You do that until Christmas itself. And then from Christmas, you go all the way to the Dia de los Reyes Magos. That's going to be the the feast of the epiphany. And that's celebrates the three wise men going and giving gifts to Jesus, uh, the, the baby Christ. So, Nothing but tamales, pozole, buñuelos, ponche. Mm, um, mm. Oh, God. Like all these hearty, hot dishes, Mexican dishes. And then you get bolo. Bolo would be basically at the end of, you know, you do your prayer to the nativity scene. And I, that's the other thing. You get these nativity scenes. Like you could do something small, like, you know, just the baby <laughs> with some animals and whatnot. Mi tía Maria's, because uh, mi tía Maria, she lived down the street or, st- you know, still lives down the street from my parents' house. She'd have her whole living room. It'd be like a freaking uh, diorama-rama of like little scenes and castles and all that. So you pray, they give you peanuts, money. Although, uh, Dave, we didn't get money. We got pennies. So Mexicans, <laughs> we were relegated to pennies and peanuts, literally pennies and peanuts. And then these, these little candies called tomis, uh, which are like these little caramel suckers, which to this day, I think is one of the great candies ever. So, all right. So it's it's the whole December to remember for the for Gustavo's family. <laughs> it's, it's, wait, wait, can we you, just get back to this? Like, I have. Uh, can you tie in? I have no idea why we made this dish. <laughs> so I'm I was, I'm about to get that. This is I was ramping up, Dave. I'm ramping into it. This is a dish. Whether you celebrate Cinco de Mayo or not, this when we when I emailed Gustavo, this was the first thing you described it as the greatest mole in human history, one of the most personal dishes of all time, and this is a. Jerez-style wedding asado. This is the dish of Zacatecas when there's a celebration. This comes out. 
And when you when you you were you were throwing us a bone and saying, "What's a big Cinco de Mayo celebration dish?" This was the one. So you also said that you don't cook, let alone ever attempt this. So it'll equally be a trip. Tell us about the dish itself. Tell us about Zacatecas. Tell us about the the notorious celebrations. Well, look, Dave's already complaining. Put all the blame <laughs> on Chris. He put me up to this setup. I'm like, okay, if if you're gonna make me cook something then I am going to cook the most complex dish and delicious dish I could possibly think of to the point where I told my family, they're like, you're insane. You're, you're <laughs> like, we, we cook and we don't even try it. But the dish, it's called asado de boda. That's the official name. You could call it asado de boda jerezano. Asado means roast. Boda means wedding. So it's a wedding roast. Like, But it's basically a mole. And so it's from the state of Zacatecas. Uh, and Zacatecas is the home state of where my family's from. It is one of the great diaspora states of Mexico. Southern California basically has hundreds of thousands of uh, people from Zacatecas. I mean, you want to talk about diasporas. My mom comes from this small village called El Cargadero, which, uh, you know, it's up in the mountains. So elevation, 7,000 feet or whatnot. We're mountain people, uh, Mexican billies. That small village alone, there's over a thousand of us in Anaheim alone. People from, it, it belongs to what's called the municipio in Mexico. So kind of like city county. So that's what Jerez is. There's at least tens of thousands of people from Jerez in Southern California alone. So like diaspora central. And anytime we have a wedding, you cook this dish. Because back in the, you know, back in the old country, women, when they were deemed ready to get married, they had to cook this dish. And so mm. what's the dish? Oh God. Um, it's actually, I mean, you see the recipe, it's simple. You fry pork, you get like two it's types not, of chilies. It's a lot of things, Gustavo. I would not say simple is one of them. You get a, <laughs> you get buckets of lard, you get uh, four bay leaves and an orange rind, and then you get chocolate. And then the recipe that I showed you guys, this is, I mean, and this is the recipe itself. You know, it, it came from the Los Angeles times because I modified it from what my mom and Mitya Maria did over a decade ago. It said it would take three hours. It took me eight hours. <laughs> of course, I had never cooked before at all. But when the dish at its optimal, so it's going to be a mole. It's going to be thick and it's going to be sweet and it's going to be a little bit spicy. And that lard, it's just one of the richest dishes, in my opinion, that you'll ever have. And, it, and it, to me, it talks about diaspora. If I'm going to celebrate, if Cinco de Mayo is supposed to be about celebrating Mexican culture, then I wanted you guys to at least taste a little bit of my Mexico, taste a little bit of my background, and hope for the best at that point. Mm -hmm. This is a sweet, lightly spicy, dark mole. Many people will probably compare it to like mole poblano. It's a, a braise of pork in there. The entire sauce is basically chilies, chocolate sugar and fried bread <laughs> like that's that's the base of oh the yeah sauce. i forgot and, about and that, water, the bolillos, yeah and water the version you sent us is 14 steps not until you get to step 11 do you reveal gustavo master of suspense that this creates two gallons of chili puree <laughs> here's the thing it's us i mean it's it's in the title it's right there wedding 
Asado. It's true. Asado it's true. de boda. People, and I always get in, in fights with my colleagues at the LA Times because I give them these recipes that like serves 16, 17 people. This one, of course, serves, serves 32. Can you do something for four people? No, you're supposed to fucking, <laughs> I mean, unless you're one of those sad people who get married and there's five people with you at the courthouse. At my wedding. Hey, hey, hey. that was my <laughs> wedding. Take it easy, dude. Uh-oh, I take that back. Not even five. There was only one other person. Right. But he still did make a 32-person mole for that person. You had to make it. Well, look, at Mexican weddings, my wedding was small. We probably had like 400 people there because we had no kids. So, like, we make big, huge things. So this one, and this one, by the way, uh, this asado de boda recipe, it was small. It was a small serving. And, yeah, it serves 32. Two gallons of puree, but then you freeze it, and then you could eat it through the rest of the year. And it's just, I I don't know. what. I'm just curious to think, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but what did you guys think of, like, once you ate it, the taste itself, what did you guys think? Oh, no, we'll reveal okay, that. Okay, 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 that's fine. Sorry. I'm just in anticipation of this, because, like... <laughs> I know, you're dying. It's interesting, because this, it's actually, this is maybe a recipe club. Eh, we've done it before, but, like, the fact that it's your recipe, I'm sure adds a little bit to you wanting to know w- whatever we thought. Totally. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Gustavo, do you want to do you want to talk about your 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 uh, your maiden voyage into making this family dish? This is literally the first time you've made it. 
Oh God, this is literally the first time I made anything. I've never made chile rellenos. I've never made rice. I've never made beans. I've never made, I think I know how to uh, hard boil an egg. Maybe that's about it. So I see this and I thought, oh, I could do it in three hours. No, I, I, I got a blister on my finger because I had never cut anything for so long in my life. So I get the pork. I, and, you know, I got it cut from a butcher near my wife's store, Electric City Butcher. Shout out to them. And I said, I need thumb-sized uh, portions. And no, they gave me big old uh, portions of uh, pork shoulder. So I had to cut that pork. What was really took took me forever was deseeding these chilies. Like, damn. I, and, and then I start thinking, why do people cook? It takes so long to make people like to cook these big dishes. Can't we just like forage back in the days or whatnot? But I'm cooking through all these, you know, so I do. The, I, OK, I got the shoulder. I got the chili. Uh, I, I deceit all of that. Then I have to get the bread and I have to, um, you know, I've never fried anything. So I fried stuff in the lard and then I burnt a bunch of them. And I that's one thing that I remember from mom who passed away a couple of years ago. She Maybe she knew this in the future. She's like, one day my son who doesn't cook is going to try to cook this dish. So I'm going to tell him the most important advice. Nothing can be burned because if there's anything that's burnt, it's going to ruin the entire recipe. So if I say, I know what brown is versus black when it comes to uh, cooking stuff. Because again, I cook quesadillas. So the minute I saw black, I would throw it away. Then I would have to start all over again. So slowly (laughs) but surely. But also, I mean, that poses an immense challenge here because... You're talking about, again, the the basics of this recipe are you fry all of these chilies, these already dried, deep, dark, scarlet red chilies. And for somebody who doesn't cook, to tell the difference between a chili that is well fried and a chili that's burnt is is probably a little (laughs) bit of a challenge, I imagine. Oh, my God. Well, I took the advice again of my mom she, in, in Spanish. I'm sure every cult, every language has this term, but in Spanish, you say you can't just follow recipes directly. You have to learn it over, over time with muscle memory, but the saying is tantear. Tantear is like guess. You have to guess, but it's not a guess out of just like blind luck. It's a guess out of muscle memory. So I was relying on decades of seeing my mom cook and seeing how glistening and angry these chilies look. So basically when the chilies looked uh, oily and angry, that's when I would take them out. And then again, and then again, and again. The trip out for me was frying the pork because at first I'm like, okay, it's pink. I know pork poisons you if you don't cook it long enough. So then it turns gray. So I'm like, I think that looks pork uh, or I think that looks cooked, but this this recipe calls for golden brown. And then I realized like, oh, I don't have the oil on hot enough. Starts bubbling like crazy. I'm like, oh, this is how you fry food. Trip out, shit, man. And then- and it's interesting, again, muscle memory, because finally I started seeing the pork cook to that golden brown that I remembered. Then I took it out, I'd have to put it in a pot, and then of course the oil, started, the, the manteca, the lard starts collecting as well. But I took one out, I'm like, I'm just gonna taste it to see if at least I got the pork. Then I tasted the pork, I'm like, oh my God, this is the pork, it's like, what the fuck is going on? I'm a chef, like, I could be a chef, wow. <laughs> but of course there were still more steps to go. Uh, so it took you eight hours. You you ran into trouble deseeding the the chilies. What 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 was what proposed a problem about deseeding chilies? It was it wasn't that it was de- it was a problem. It's just that it took so goddamn long. Like taking out every little silly or a, a little seed, destem them. That took a long ass time. And then cutting the pork shoulder into thumbs. Like it was just a lot of labor. I'm like, 
And of course, I knew this was going to take a long time, but I didn't know it was going to take this much time. And then I just had to make sure, you know, frying the pork was fine. I know, you know, once I got the color for me, it's like once I see something done right, then I'm going to do it right. So the pork was fine. The chilies, I know I didn't burn them at all. Maybe I could have cooked them a little bit more, but I started putting that in there. And then the bolillos, the French rolls that I fried them, then I had to put them aside, soak them in water and just leave them aside. And then on top of that, you have to uh, moler. So you have to get the blender out, blend cinnamon sticks, and then blend chocolate. And so if we were all, me, uh, you, Chris, and Dave, were all on equal footing and we had all the same ingredients and we had all the same talent, I would have beat you guys only because I have the secret, secret ingredient to the best asado de boda. And I took video of it. It's a specific chocolate from Jerez called Fervi, Fervi Chocolate. So it's a, it's a, a, it's a Mexican chocolate. So it's going to be a dark chocolate laced with almonds and with cinnamon. That's what takes it to that next level. So lo molí, I put it in the blender. I put, you know, made that sauce, put it in there. And then the, fir- the here's the first problem that I actually, the true problem I ran into. As I'm pouring this puree, into a pot, it's like Jaws, I'm gonna need a bigger pot. So I had to run up to, or I had to climb up into the attic and look for my wife's pots. And so I got this big, huge freaking Magnum size thing. And then I poured it in there. But by then it's like, oh my God, I'm gonna be making a lot of food now. Gustavo, just (laughs) last question really quick here. Estimate for me, how many pots, pans, tools, cutting boards, uh, spoons, a total count of uh, cookware you used for this dish. Oh God. Well, uh, spoons, yeah, like four or five. I mean, you had the, the you had the one with the slotted, uh, the slotted spoon. I didn't realize it was called that to take out the pork. And so the lard, the manteca could put, go back into the frying pan. And then you had a blender, but pans. Oh my God. So you had the frying pan where all the frying was happening. You had the bowl to be able to put the the soaked bolillos. You had the big pot to be able to put the puree to mix in because then I had to also puree the um, the bolillos once they were done. Then I had to have the pork. So, you know, I couldn't just, I knew enough to not put meat on wood, okay? I was smart enough to do that. Then you had the cutting board to do is that this. A rule? Never put meat on wood? Is that, is that I would think cooking? so. Isn't that poisonous? I don't know. Never start a land. Never start a land war in Asia either. <laughs> <laughs> don't march on Russia with uh, in winter too, or Ukraine so for that matter. 20, are we talking twenty five plus dishes? Yeah. Oh yeah. Easily. I mean, th- there's th- there was just an array in our small kitchen <laughs> of me. stuff. My wife comes in, like she comes into the kitchen, and she just walks out. She's like, "Okay, this is a disaster already." So, <laughs> Dave, how many dishes did you use? And uh, please tell me how you hacked this. No, you know, I, I, I <laughs> one dish. I, I well, listen. I really read the recipe a couple times over, and I really debated what's do here because the last thing I wanted to do is right off the bat make a recipe that I couldn't even pronounce that well or even correctly. I decided also not to Google anything about it, other mm-hmm. than what was there. So it was a Great British Bake Off. So I, I, I wanted to imagine. What it was, I just used my imagination, right? And I read it, not knowing how to pronounce anything. I bought the ingredients, but I, that's a whole nother story before I get there. But I was reading the recipe and I tried to do Google translate it into dumb Dave, <laughs> <laughs> into the dark arts of, of, of uh, you know, if I, if I was a Hogwarts wizard, I'm 
teaching the dark arts, right? right. Of sandbaggery and shortcuts. That's my translated from English to sandbaggish. Got it. <laughs> yeah. And before I before I pressed translate, I was like, am I being disrespectful to to <laughs> this entire culture and this dish? And I thought about it, and then I said, you know what? I'm just too lazy to do it the right way. <laughs> oh boy. I wanted to do it the right way. I wanted to do everything that you said that you did, but I also was able to time travel in my mind. Oh my God. Well, Dave's a wizard. I I am a mere muggle. That was going to have all the problems, all the dishes. And then I started to go deeper into this and visualize what I could do and translate it into to me. So I'm just saying, I really sat down and debated, do I do this the absolute way to be authentic and to be as respectful as possible. I'm just letting everyone know, don't get mad at me. I, I, it's not like I didn't want to do that. I was incapable of doing it. So what did, what did you do, Dave? <laughs> no more via negativo. What did you do? I really translated it into something else that was incomprehensible by anybody else. So I, I looked at the, the recipe and first I, did, I wasn't able to buy... Bolillos. Bolillos? Bolillos, yeah, Bolillos. Bolillos. What? How? The Mexican bakery near me was not open by the time I got there. Uh, Since I did not cook this in a timely fashion the week before, that was the only option to get it. So I bought some French bread, which now makes sense. I feel okay about that since it's based on French bread. I was like, oh. Seems I know what Bolillos is because I... No, yeah. (laughs) But like I, I know it's like sort of French bread, so I brought the French bread. I did not get manteca. Uh oh! Would you fry in? Did you fry olive oil? Fried olive oil. I have a good excuse. You can talk to my cardiologist. (laughs) (laughs) That's a legitimate excuse. I I will. It's a legitimate excuse. Yeah, yeah. It's a legitimate excuse. It's it's a literal. The last thing in the world I'm allowed to consume. (laughs) The only thing I can consume is is olive oil. Pretty much. All right. So you fried, but you fried. I fried, but I also just doing it in a way that. I knew how this dish was going to work out potentially. So all my tricks I applied to my Le Creuset pot that I, I fried in, but I didn't add, I did, I probably added a couple cups of oil, not the seven pounds of manteca, right? Because <laughs> what I know is I cook pork butt all the time and I've done it in a variety of ways. I knew that if I cut it in chunks and I probably put like, you know, a couple inches of oil I would be able to then extract a lot of that oil as it goes without ever having to um, strain it out as the recipe suggests and then reincorporate it throughout the recipe. It was probably like whatever I had in there, I knew that I was going to be able to use for the, that was what I was going to ride with for the entire recipe. Same. Right? I also knew that a lot of fat was going to be extracted from the pork butt as well. So I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. So I, I sort of just estimated what I would need. And I jammed, jammed the pot with pork butt, like cut, cut up the pork butt and I just jammed it. And I, the seasoning was actually perfect. It was actually quite a bit of salt, but I was like, I'm probably not going to add salt the rest of the thing. So I probably put like a handful of kosher salt in with about five pounds of pork butt chopped up. I crowded it. Everything about this was wrong. And I put it on a medium heat and I covered it and I went away for like 45 minutes. Wow. And I, and I, what the hell did you do? Popeye's pressure fried your fucking pork. (laughs) No, and then I knew that I, because here's the thing like, this is not what anyone will teach you. I knew that if I keep it covered, I'm also going to get the splatter down. And yeah, it's going to steam, but it's going to steam the top. So it's going to cook. 
but I'm also going to take the lid off. So I started to stir it after about 30, 45 minutes and it starts to break down and starts to reduce in size. So it reduced in volume probably about half, right? And it starts to get very golden brown. And about yeah. an hour total, covered, cooking uncovered and covered. The, like the last 15 minutes, you're like really like moving around, putting the lid back on and cranking up the heat. Got extremely golden brown. And I have to say just that alone, I know that you were talking about it too, Gustavo. What a fucking shortcut to eating extremely delicious pork. God, I know. Just stop it right there. That pork right is there. so good. It was super salty and just chewy enough, but like not like rubber. But it was a kind of texture that I enjoy quite a bit. It was delicious. It was like steam fried, right? I adored it. And I'll tell you the truth. I ate a good too many pieces of that pork shoulder <laughs> where I just negated not using manteca. Basically, that's what happened. I ate so much of that pork. So also, I went to a supermarket and I bought the pasilla peppers, but they were already pre-ground, which is a big no-no, mm. the bag of pre-ground. And then I bought another, what was the other pepper? Uh, it, it was New Mexico. It should have been chilacate, but you could substitute New Mexico. And I substituted Japones pepper. Yeah, Japones can Hapones work too. Yeah, that, that, I so would actually, I did that. Yeah, I would actually... My end, I thought it should have been spicier, and the Japones ones are spicier than New Mexico, so that's a good one. So I had the pasilla peppers, and that saved me some time, even though I'm losing on the aromatics uh, because it's pre-ground. I'm like, okay, you know, I, it's going to get me enough there. So this is where I did a, a severe Dumb Dave hack. I'm now looking at all of this, and I'm like, okay, it's all going to get blended anyway. So I'm reverse engineering from there. This is my 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 suggestion again. Not trying to be disrespectful to the recipe, but if you're trying to save some time, I think these this will work. I did not fry the bolios; I pulverized it first, hmm. right into breadcrumbs, and then I added it with. The, I poured some of the fat from the pork in there, and I toasted it. I have a thermomix, right? But if I didn't have a thermomix, I did everything a thermomix. I would have done, if I was doing this in a restaurant, this is how I would do it as well. I would get a blender of Vitaprep. I would blitz everything and I'd cook it like a, a Tuscan sofrito. Mm. And if you don't know what sofrito is, it's mirepoix. It's, it's celery, onions, carrots, mince very finely with some garlic and a shit ton of olive oil to you cook it golden brown in a variety of, you have dark sofrito, gold sofrito, basically. So I was like, okay, all of these ingredients, the cinnamon, the... The bay leaf I added later, but it was really just cinnamon and the chilies. And right? the chocolate, yeah. And the, and the chocolate, you're pulverizing with the bread. So I fried the bread crumbs in the mixture of everything else. So I got everything. I know that toasted element is a hugely important feature of this dish. And I didn't even know it was I was making a mole. I, said, I felt like, oh, these are so like mole-like ingredients, but having done no research whatsoever. But I, 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 I gathered enough to be like, if I cook this like a sofrito, which is something I've made a lot in my lifetime, I'd be able to like cut out a lot of the steps without losing at all what I believe is the integrity of the dish. So then, and, and just because I had a thermomix, if I didn't have the thermomix, I would have done it in any blender, blitzed it all down. So you're not doing multiple steps. You just need a pot big enough to fry all that shit in again. And that's ultimately what I did. And then you mix it all together after it's been fried. Then I poured in the water to make it the sludge. Right. And then you can add water later as you're cooking, as you say, it's a super stew. And then I added the bay leaf, you know, as it's simmering with the pork. 
And I got to be honest, Gustavo, I've had a really crap week. A lot of shitty things have been happening. And I've really reached a, a, a threshold of not being able to cook. I go to any supermarket now. I go to the farmer's market. I go anywhere where they're serving raw food or ingredients or groceries. And I'm just like, I, I have no idea what to make anymore. I'm so tired <laughs> of making everything. Yeah. I've reached, it's like, feels like when you reach the end of the internet of all the things you normally read, like, oh, there's nothing else to fucking do. This making this and tasting this gave me it was like highlight of my year. Ah, like for real, I was like, I cannot believe how good this dish is. I cannot believe that like this flavor out of these ingredients is coming out in this way. It's unnervingly balanced. Mine is very spicy, right? <laughs> but like spicy that is tempered by the sweetness. Yeah, the chocolate is is like perfect because the bitterness. It essentially, it's a lot of the bitter that you might get from the, the the toasting of everything, but like just enough to like, it's like a base in, in a band. It's like, it just ties it all together. <laughs> and the pork was a delicious in and its own. And I, I was eating this and I'm like, oh my God, this is like a really good mole. And this I haven't is, done no homework. And I was like, oh, this is like a, mole. This is Dave, like a fucking mole. It's so funny you say that because I ate mine. I have this on video. Like my exact reaction was, I can't believe I made this. <laughs> That's it. That's a feeling. It's like, Gustavo, I was like, I can't believe I made this. This is amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. And I just, when I reached, just when I reached the end of my rope on, on cooking, I was like, you, and I cursed your name. I was like, you motherfucker. You know? <laughs> you got me. You got me. Now I have to like go down this fucking rabbit hole and make all this fucking stuff that I never thought I was going to make. And this is new technique of cooking pork. And... This is such an interesting way. I thought it was a beautiful way of incorporating stale bread. I mean, that's what that dish was for, is I think using stale bread and to thicken it in a way. It's what I love most about this dish is that it's a juxtaposition of all these super humble ingredients, tough cut of pork, stale bread, because I doubt you'd ever be using fresh bolillos in this, right? This is something yeah. you use the next day. You take all of these humble, humble ingredients and you transform it through alchemy into something that tastes extremely luxurious and rich and decadent. That's the best type of shit, man. And I felt that. I was like, this, this is, I was like, oh, this is something you would eat at a wedding. This is a celebratory <laughs> dish. <laughs> it's just like, I so love I it. got it. In my <laughs> own fucking stupid, dumb Dave Google Translate way, I was able to get to the center of the Tootsie Roll. Yeah. Every, everything you said exactly, that's what it's supposed to be. Decadent. You marvel at, this is just, you see it, it's pork and some sauce, and yet you're getting these flavors. Right at, you know, I, one one day, next time my, my, tia Paul, my, my tia Paulita makes it, because she's the one who makes the best asado of the both in our family. I want to take I want to take some to both of you so you could taste how it, quote unquote, it's supposed to. So when I tasted mine, I mean, I also recorded myself. Like you see, I smile because I'm like, motherfucker, just like Dave said, motherfucker, in my case, like you almost got it. Like you've never cooked before, but you almost got it. Like my critique of my dish was that it wasn't spicy enough. It wasn't sweet enough. And it's not supposed to be saccharine. It's not supposed to torch your tongue. It's supposed to be this good balance. But I get my friend, my, my wife was hanging out with her friends in the backyard. And so I gave them some, just a small bowl. I'm like, eh, you know, hanging my head in shame. And they all went home with some because they're like, we've never tasted anything like this. This is so good. Gustavo, you cook? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I guess you're like, so. Just don't look, don't look in the kitchen. Don't, don't look at the <laughs> Yeah, mess. that's a whole other story. 
and 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 I made mine in 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 ninety minutes. Wow, the whole thing in ninety minutes. I did. I think I did mine in probably not including not including like pork cooking time. Mine was probably like an hour and a half or something, like two hours probably. Yeah. So I'm gonna say right off the bat, this was the best recipe I've made all year. Not even shit. recipe club because. <laughs> You can't put a, a number on, on that feeling of, I can't believe I made this. You know how rare that is? You're like, I can't believe I made yeah, this. Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of just like unfamiliarity with the stuff and also just like, what's going to happen here? And then and then like Dave said, actually, the other the other amazing thing about this is like, it, it was quick. I tasted it and I was like, have I been cooking this for 48 hours? Like, why is this like <laughs> so layered and complex? And, and like, it's incredible. My only suggestion, real tip, another tip on this is once you merge the the sauces together with the pork, you need to stir like a lunatic yeah. to prevent it from burning on the bottom. That is something that I didn't do, but I will tell you, I even enjoyed the little burnt bits on the bottom because once you st- incorporate that again into the whole sauce, yeah, it's even richer and more. It's complex. even richer and more. Com- it's it's just I was shocked how fucking good it was. Uh, again, it was it was everything that I, I wasn't expecting, and that's why I was like, "This is the best." I think that anybody that's listening to this, they should make this because it is be it is the I, I just can't see. I know this is calling the shot really early. This is the best recipe. This is my. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling everybody this is the best fucking recipe. Even though we just started the season, I don't think anything's even going to come close uh. to. It. Damn. I also just love that Dave is trying to give the season win to a non-permanent wedgie. On the show. <laughs> like, this is just his fucking evil. I, I, I'll, I'll say this really quickly. When the LA Times did this recipe, this is like 2010. At the end of the year, they had their top 10 dishes. And I think I did it like around this time, actually in April. Cinco de Mayo, again, get the Mexican to write something about Mexicans. <laughs> Cinco de Mayo. So it publishes... End of the year, they have the top 10 recipes for, I think it was 2010. And the asado de boda was listed as number one. So my mom and my tia Dude. Maria on top. And this is a recipe that years later, I think it was Russ, Par- either Russ Parsons, a former food editor of the LA Times or someone with the Times cooking team. They see me randomly and they're like, you remember that? This is years later. They're like, you remember that asado de boda that you once submitted as a recipe? I'm like, yeah. He's like, this never happens with recipes, but we still talk about this dish because it was so, like everything that you've said so far, Dave, like you cook it, you don't know what to expect and then you eat it and you just are like, what the hell is this? Where has this been? And here's the thing. This is the anomaly with Zacatecas. There's so many of us in Southern California, yet historically there has been very few Zacatecas style restaurants and you cannot find Asado de Boda at any restaurant. I, I only saw it once and it was whatever, but no one else tries it for whatever reason. No one else attempts it. Yeah. Look, I would. I'll let me really quickly go over a couple of little highlights from my experience with this thing. First of all, Gustavo, did you get fresh rendered manteca, or did you buy like the blocks? Uh, I bought the blocks from Northgate Supermarket. Okay, but they were like fr- they were of the the markets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was like their own. Like basically, you go to the Carnicero, Northgate Gonzalez being one of the legendary. Latino supermarket chains in Southern California. So I went to the Carnicero. They had like their Northgate brand Manteca. Get uh, two blocks of it. I think if you can't find actual freshly rendered lard, you should go with Dave did and do olive oil because like I took a I took a real stupid leap of faith and bought like like Farmer John was at the Mexican market. For some reason, they had all this like chicharron, but they didn't have lard to the blocks. 
Oh my God. It smelled so fucking horrible. Uh (laughs) The lard smelled so horrible. I was so worried. But if you can't get it, I think Dave's right. Like by the time you've fried all that pork, it's basically lard in that, in that pot anyway. The other thing I really love about this recipe is like, I bring up the pot management because there's, there's a lot of like pour the fat into here. There's a lot of like lard management going on in your, in the recipe in the 14 steps. It's like use some here, then pour it over here, then soak this in it. I love this recipe because it's like my favorite kind of thing where it seems like a, a, a direct transcript of watching your mom or your aunt cook it. <laughs> like the recipe is like, then I saw my aunt do this and then she put it over in this bowl and then like she moved this bowl over here. I streamlined a lot of that for mine. Like I think I probably like did some halfway version of what Dave did, which is like, I read the whole recipe and I was like, okay, everything's got to get fried and then everything's got to get pureed. So I just fried everything. I fried the pork forever. I fried the chilies. I fried the bread. At that point, I was like, I had to double check because I was like, I know what a bolillo is, but I bought these bolillos. Now I'm about to float them in this fat here. Like I had to just be like, is there another definition of bolillo? Am I about to fry a bunch of loaves of bread and put them into a sauce? And then Gustavo's going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like bolillo (laughs) is a kind of tomato or something. Like I had to double check. But basically, like like Dave said, I did it in two hours because I just like I fried everything in batches and then I, I pulverized it in the blender and then I just kind of cooked it in the pot. <laughs> Another aspect of the recipe I, I really love and also was terrified of is like you described and you've mentioned a couple of times that you you cut the pork into thumb sized chunks. <laughs> and as like a recipe writer in my past life, I'm just like, I have a hard time describing the size of something I'm cutting in terms of something I could potentially cut off as I'm doing the cutting. <laughs> like looking at raw meat being like, I need to cut each of these pieces of meat into the same size as this thumb. It was, it was a little intense, but to the, at the end of the day, it was it was incredible. We ate ours with like leftover bolillo. I had a few like spare fried chunks of the bread uh, that I'd already fried sitting there. And my my niece was there and my daughter and my son were just like, came up and you know, as they do, they came in the kitchen, were just like stealing chunks of whatever they find in the kitchen. And they kept coming back and just eating all these fucking lard fried pieces of bread. And like my son eats nothing, but he was like gobbling these down. And my niece was like, you know, she's like a 23 year old recent college grad, you know, she's super fit. She runs all the time. And she's like, these are really good. Like, what, what are these? Just Damn. Like, uh, that's just bread. I fried in <laughs> like a giant pot of pork fat, but they were unbelievable. The, the recipe is incredible. I reduced it to, I don't know if Dave, if you, you must've like, reduce the recipe by a quarter or something or by, by two thirds. I, I cut everything down to sort of like this portion. I had like a quart of sauce left over that's sitting in my parents' freezer. I made this all at my parents' house, but it's on, it's unreal, man. It's unreal. I, I could not believe this came out of me. I was like, my, the only, I keep saying that. And like the only other time I've heard somebody make that comment is like new mothers. <laughs> just like, I can't believe this thing was inside me. I'm just like, yeah, man, this fucking Asado just came out of me. It's so fucking good. I love this dish so much, man. Yeah, I I, the, I mean, the true taste tester, well, my wife tasted it. So Asado Boda, we had at our wedding. Like we had to have had it. So we had it. And so she tasted it and she, and she said, I could see where you're going. Like, so she was very proud of me for, of course, you know, cooking, trying for the first time. The true taste testers are going to be my siblings because they love the dish and they're siblings. So they're ruthless. So they'll tell me, And they won't be proud of me for trying to cook. They'll say like, nah, you fucked up, whatever. Although they don't cuss. So, but that, I'm glad you guys like that. Again, I I cannot, one day I'm going to get you from Mi Tia Paulita. And so you could say then, okay, I totally fucked up this recipe. But the fact that you were already impressed with whatever you did, like that is really cool. 
What uh, all right, give yourself a grade. Yeah, I know you said you got close, Gustavo. How close did you get to if Tia Palita is 100, where are you? 73. <laughs> Solid. Mm. That's that's what Dave's always shooting for. That's exactly what you're on. Right? <laughs> no, literally, like, like C minus. The consistency I got, the pork, I will say I got perfectly. The sauce, like I could see the flavors that are like that are supposed to be there, but I don't know what I did that didn't give me the spice. Maybe it was the fact that I didn't go with chile japonés and I went with New Mexico chilies. And of course, if I had chile chilacata, which you, you could only get from, uh, you know, you get the chile from Zacatecas, I think that would have been a game changer as well. But there was just not enough spice for me. And then the sweetness of the, ch- uh, I should have probably added another bar of Fedvi instead of the bar that I had. That would have given it just a little bit more. So I think if it just distinguished itself a little bit more, I would have given myself more. And then the problem that I had initially was just all the fucking lard, man. It was just so much lard. (laughs) The next day, though, I think when everything congealed and all that, and then I reheated it, it tasted much, much better. So I'm like, okay. And then again, let's not forget. I've never cooked in my life. I should win the Pulitzer Prize for cooking <laughs> and a Nobel. Don't stop there. Don't stop there. Peabody. Peabody. Peabody baby. This is journalism. All the awards ever created. I can't do Beard because I'm the James Beard Journalism Committee. So conflict of interest there. But anything just for the fact that I was even able to get a C. I was honestly expecting an F. I was honestly, ex- I burnt, I scalded myself twice with lard. So that alone, I should get a gold medal for that. And, and the I, MacArthur but, Fellowship is coming your MacArthur, way. MacArthur, <laughs> genius. Look, I <laughs> really don't mail. like to humble brag. I really don't. That's not that's not how I was raised. But, <laughs> but, I, but I, you're doing a good job at it. No, you're doing a good I, job. Come you're on, natural, give me this. Man. Give me this. Natural. Give me this because I never cooked. And I went for it and I didn't fail. And I got to say, if my mom was alive and she'd taste it because she loved me to that because I'm the oldest of four. So she'd say, ah, pues, you see, says bien, you did good. So just thinking of that and just connecting with how, uh, you know, significant and special this dish is, I'm like, I'm just glad I didn't fuck up. So this is probably going to be my best accomplishment all year. And I, then that's an accomplishment. If, if this is the best accomplishment I have all year, then I had a hell of a fucking year. And what a way to celebrate Mexican Independence Day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Drico for Cinco. <laughs> no, it's 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 a it's a fucking beauty. I think if anybody out there is cooking this, read through the whole recipe a few times, figure out like how you're going to manage the quantity, how you're going to sort of fat manage, how you're going to uh, do the steps and everything. I think there's a lot of wiggle room in here. As we show, like you can arrive at at, at like the same uh, rough destination. How did, how did you cut your recipe down? Because I don't know what I did. I eyed everything, and it came out like really well. Oh, I just like I think so. The recipe is like what Gustavo? It's like uh, a pound and a half of <laughs> dried chilies and eight oh, yeah. dried pasilla uh, chilies. Seven and pounds of seven lard. <laughs> I was just like, I like I said, I got to step 11 and it was like revealed that this makes two gallons of puree. And I was like, you motherfucker, like, I'm cutting this down ahead of time. How long? Did, last question. Did you guys just, I mean, Dave, your cook, your pork was like perfectly cooked by the time it came out and then just into the sauce. Like, did you both just sort of heat it through with the sauce or did you simmer it at all? I simmered. Yeah. I, I don't even know what simmer means. Um, <laughs> so I just followed the recipe. So I fried the pork until it was golden brown. I put it in a pot and the pot was supposed to be in low heat. And because, you know, it's still pork, even though it was a big amount of pork, it was in a half 
pool of manteca. So I would just keep stirring it on that low heat. It kept it warm, but not scalding like anything at all. Then once I did the sauce and that's when I poured it in, then you put it on high heat and then just start mixing again. This is a, it's really an emulsion, right? Mm -hmm. It is shocking how much fat is in this dish. <laughs> but like, it really isn't. If, if you make this, and I'm just letting people know when you make this, you're like, wow, that's a lot of fat. I'm like, it's a gravy and fat is gravy. This is basically a bread gravy emulsified. <laughs> this so is the you real shouldn't bread be, sauce. Like, you really shouldn't thing. be put off by like the, the fact that there's fat at all because the proportion is absolutely normal for what you would make. It really is. Hmm. Right. It's a it's a fucking genius dish. I'm I'm not I'm not just saying that because you're here. I'm not trying to blow. It's a fucking amazing amazing dish. It's shocking, and I can't believe I made it. Honestly, it's like one of those things. You're like, I'm going to buy. I'm not going to make that because like I'm going to save that to go eat somewhere else, not in my own home. And the fact that you can do this, this is now just opens the door for so many different things you could possibly do with this. Because I'm sure there are a lot of variations on this dish as well. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're totally right, Dave, because it's like like you said, if this was like a, a gravy, you'd be just like cooking flour in butter <laughs> and then just adding a little liquid with more fat in it. It's the same thing. It's the same proportions. It's not any fattier. Um, this is amazing. Gustavo, you think you're going to cook any more at home? I don't know. I think so. I mean, if I was able to go to the mountaintop and not fall on my ass immediately, maybe I could do more things. But I... I don't have any imagination to cook stuff though. I, I think that's one thing. I'm a very methodical person. So you guys are talking about, uh, you know, cheats and hacks and God bless the both of you for that. But like, for me, I'm like, I had to follow everything to the T, everything. And again, this was my excuse for never learning how to cook. The best chef in the world was my mom. The second yeah. best chef in the world is my wife. I was also a food critic, so there was never any reason for me to learn how to cook until Chris, you gave me this challenge. And now- Maybe I should start a restaurant. Who knows? Like, <laughs> fuck journalism. There's nothing there, right? <laughs> All right. So we'll we'll share Chef Gustavo's recipe <laughs> in the Discord. Look out for his uh the, his new restaurant on the Eater Hot List or whatever. Uh, <laughs> sign up for our Discord and our newsletter and share your own versions. You guys fucking make and, this thing. And, ha and happy Cinco de Delilah. Yeah, Cinco, Cinco de Delilah. Cinco de Delilah. Cinco de Delilah. Uh, there will be video of all of this on YouTube. We'll see Gustavo's version. We'll see Dave's. We'll see mine. Um, and next Chris, week, he won. Chris, he won. <laughs> We're just calling it right now. It's <laughs> I mean, I can't. What recipe is even going to come close? And it's a beautiful recipe because it's the kind of recipe that you have to feel it. You, know you got to I mean? feel you this gotta thing. You got to feel it. it. You got to feel. You got to. You got to. I think you got to feel it. This is a this is a recipe that like it's magic in the sense of like how both both in terms of like how did that happen and also just like the faith that goes into it. You're like I'm frying bread now. I'm frying it's number one, for number an one hour. recipe at LA Times for a reason, right? Yeah. It's faith. I love how you put it. Literally, as I was cooking, not knowing what the hell I was doing, I'm like, I have to do it. I have to get to it. And you gotta so, believe. yeah, you got to believe. And you'll see. And even then, you know, like you'll see the video of me, like just get this big smile on my face. Even as I say, it's not sweet enough. It's not good enough. I'm like, again, I think I did good. I think I did good. Uh, we're going to get Gustavo back on Recipe Club oh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but next week, we're back again with uh, Dave, myself, and Rachel Kong making a very special meatloaf. So uh, <laughs> if your kitchens are still up for it after, after this one, 
get on the meatloaf train with us give us five stars however you rate this podcast and like i said sign up for all our various shit thanks gustavo gracias as always guys always always